0: Too much has been made inside of uh, evangelical circles that have thinned out uh, the gospel, thinned out salvation so that it is a transaction rather than a, um, a recreation. Uh, and so tying together creation and, and redemption, uh, you've got to have a thicker understanding of the work of God uh, to see the ways in which he... Touches every area of life. Church imitates often that wider cultural context, uh, and often without recognizing it. Uh, so, often going to a church service is for many like going to a major concert. Uh, that uh, that's the the values they're bringing uh, to that. Uh, ecclesial context from their wider cultural context. Now, and I'm with you entirely, I think the church ought always to be self-critical. So when it ceases to ask interesting questions about its own life, I think it ceases to be faithful.
1: Can diversity actually result in unity? Is there actually idolatry embedded in our identity? Let's talk today with Professor and pastor, and who was a former provost at gordon Conwell Seminary, Rick Lentz. He's also an author, Uncommon Unity is one book we're going to explore at the first part of this episode. It's going to be centered around identity and idolatry, and how in the world does all this affect disciples? This is going to be a fantastic conversation with a well-respected thought leader in Christianity. Here we go.
2: Rick. Thank you so much for being with us on the podcast. I've looked forward uh, to having you on the podcast, having known you for well over 30 years, being a friend, was always enjoyed our time together through the years, talking about what does it really mean to be a Christian? How do I really grapple with what God is calling me to do? And you were always both influential and wise and kind And so I know you have a number of credentials, including really impressive ones from University of Chicago and Notre Dame and studied with Plantinga and and did really impressive stuff. And I'm impressed by all that, but I'm really mostly impressed by the character you demonstrated when you were temporarily our pastor in Chicago and had to deal with a pretty obnoxious group of people. And so just thank you for being with us. And we're just delighted to have you here and to try and extract from you some of that wisdom and kindness that we all lack.
0: Well, yeah, you're, you're kind to have me. I look forward to the conversations, uh, Raymond and Dennis, uh, and uh, there's lots to tease out. And so looking forward to the, um, all, all the things we get to talk about in a podcast like this.
2: The two areas I want us to talk about is first, your one book on image and idolatry really goes right to the heart of what's the meaning and purpose of my life. And then the second book, your more recent book, Uncommon Unity, really goes to how do we have that community? How do we work together? How do we love one another, even though we're different? So I'd I'd like to start out just talking about idolatry and imagery, because I thought your insight there was really fundamental and foundational. And I thought the comments you made in some of our correspondence I'd like you to expand on is, if we're made in the image of God and... Christ restores us, then it's about more than just conversion.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I'm happy to tease that out at at much greater length. I think part of my interest originally in kind of uh, thinking out loud about the nature of idolatry, one, because there was an increasing amount of literature on idolatry in the 90s uh, and into the first decade of the 21st century, but also because it struck me it was a very effective tool, construct, used across the scriptures to think about sin in a much more interesting, often humorous uh, way, often much more uh, poignant uh, than our classical kind of legal imagery of sin. And so you broaden out the understanding of our corruption, uh, the dysfunctions of the human heart, inevitably, you've got to have a richer understanding than of redemption or restoration or salvation. Uh, And so I I do think that the peculiar boomer, uh, if you will, sin, is to talk about sin in relatively thin ways. uh, And therefore, not appreciate the robustness of salvation. Uh, now right. there's lots of reasons why that's the case we can um, you know suggest some historical episodes that brought that to the fore. but I, I would say that that's a very effective uh, construct uh, and much of my own work has been interested. what are the biblical constructs that help us to think about our own lives, our own world m- in a much more full, rich, deeper, thoughtful way and and I think uh, identity which is the one of the big challenges of our time no no doubt about it uh, on the right and on the left uh, and I think that the questions of identity uh, then if you uh, fold them back into issues of idolatry they come alive and and you see your, your idols in lots of different places. uh, And oftentimes the church in an ironic way is an idol. It it becomes a safe haven against uh, an encroaching world or something of that sort. And it keeps you away from both the challenges, but also the enjoyment of the created order.
2: What is an idol? And how does that uh, infect my human heart in such a way that I'm not following Christ?
0: Yeah. Idolatry at base level is to treat something that's not ultimate as ultimate. Uh, So we put our hopes in uh, something that may well be good, a good part of the created order, but it's being treated as if it is more than it actually is. Uh, So I, I, put together the themes of significance and safety as the indicators of where our idols lie. And often we're looking for safety against that which threatens us, Hmm. but looking in places which will not in fact keep us safe, uh, and also uh, the places where we seek to have significance, a noble uh, yearning uh, in each of us, but that significance Uh, must lie ultimately in in the reflection of our creator. So uh, put simply, uh, idols are are little statues in the ancient world that people thought in fact could uh, keep them safe and grant them significance, meaning, purpose, uh, lead them, if you will, give them direction. On the other hand, uh, that is a perfectly generalizable project uh, to see idols uh, in our Work, our relationships, our you know, our uh, our money, our savings, uh, everywhere we look, we are tempted to suppose ultimately that's where our safety or significance lies. So that that's as you know, at root bottom, what's going on. I think uh, when uh, Paul talks in Romans one about exchanging uh, the, the the worship of the creator for the worship of the creation. And so we, 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 we hope in good things, but they're not ultimate, and thus they become uh, God's small g, as, as was the case in the ancient world as well.
1: Rick, let me jump in and ask a question about idolatry that we were pursuing here. In the Old Testament, we see a lot of examples of the Hebrews using portfolio theory. You know, it wasn't just one God. I got to have a whole raft of them just to make sure I cover my bases. We see this not simply and only in the Greco-Roman world, but inside the the tribes of the Hebrews in the Old Testament. How does idolatry kind of function today as as you've thought about this with respect to the portfolio theory? What what constitutes the recipe of idolatry in the modern Western culture? If I could toss the the question that way at you.
0: Yeah. And and of course, we're going to generalize because not uh, one of the unique things about idolatry is that there are multiple idols in everybody's lives and uh, a great variety of idols in any culture. So my idols might be very different from yours uh, or my neighbor next door and the like. And that's what makes I think idolatry so much more interesting than to talk generically about uh sin now i i I know when to abandon concepts of sin and sinfulness uh they they play a role, but often uh they make superficial the dysfunctions the actual dysfunctions of our hearts that are as uh augustine said uh, are disorder that is we love the things more than we ought to, and we don't love the things as much as we ought to, namely God himself. So uh, I do think uh, the multiple uh, um, idols, uh, what we might, what you're calling the portfolio uh, theory, is exactly right, uh, that there are times in our lives when our careers are much more important than they ought to be, uh, or our... Uh, reputation is much more than uh, we worship it. uh, And on the list might go. I think power is another one of the idols in the modern world that's relatively common. Uh, We want it, uh, or at least we suppose in political uh, uh, jargon, uh, as long as uh, those in power are in my uh, uh, tribe, I'm safe. Uh, And we lean into that uh, in a time like ours. But we could talk about uh, all host of uh, idols. I would suggest that we have far more idols than anything that the uh, ancient Near Eastern uh, uh, world would have known. Uh, And in some ways, that's the the incredible diversity uh, that has grown across the last three centuries in our lives. Uh, from any number of angles.
1: You know, folks, I can't believe I get to do this, talk to these amazing people like you and like our guest today, Professor Rick Lentz. He's been a pastor, a professor, a provost at Gordon-Conwell Seminary. He's working with the Redeemer, City to City in New York. He's an author of Uncommon Unity and another book, Idolatry and Identity. And when we come back, Raymond and I are going to explore more about what does it mean with celebrity, identity, purpose, meaning, and discipleship. Stay with us. Let me ask a question that sort of follows that for just a moment, and then I'll hand it back to Raymond. In your book, Identity and Idolatry, in chapter five, you made a statement, what you revere, you resemble. And I'm curious how we can carry that conversation into the church. And before Mm -hmm. I ask Rick to answer that question, I want to make a declaration that Raymond and I have used over and over again. We are not attacking churches. We are not attacking pastors. We are not attacking the body of Christ. We are cheering. But as board members in an organization or consultants in an organization, we like to ask provocative questions. So, so Rick, I think the question that I would frame is this. Um, Inside the church, we hear a lot of things about tribalism, celebrityism, venues, uh, intellectualism, experientialism. Can you talk a little bit about your thinking on how idolatry inflates, conflates those kind of dynamics for believers inside the church and what the dangers might be with them?
0: Yeah, in every age. So our age is not unique in imitating the world it lives in. Now, the world we live in happens to be different than uh, our grandparents' generation or Uh, the era of the Reformation or on the list might go. And and it surely is different than believers might experience in uh, mainland China or in Afghanistan in our time. So every every cultural influence uh, is unique to the culture in which it lives. So I think that we imbibe often the values of the world we live in. I mean, that's part of the way God has made us. Uh, So I'm not uh, suggesting that somehow there's a magic wand to make us independent of cultural influences. But we're often not aware, as we ought to be, of those uh, influences. So we live in uh, a time that, and whether it's ending or dissipating, I'll leave aside, but uh, that has often celebrated uh, larger-than-life personalities, a- and so that church imitates often that wider cultural context, uh, and often without recognizing it. Uh, uh, so often going to a church service is, for many, like going to a major concert. Uh, that, uh, that's the, the values they're bringing uh, to that uh, ecclesial context from their wider cultural context now ha- 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 and i'm with you entirely i think e- e- the church ought always to be self critical uh, so when it ceases to ask interesting questions about its own life i think it ceases to be faithful uh, and uh, mm-hmm. it ought not be afraid of asking hard questions uh, and uh, there are there are some that are much Uh, what more prone to ask really sharp questions without much encouragement. And we need to be careful of simply throwing stones uh, at, you know, at, at those who uh, are in the church. Uh, And I would suggest that um, there, there are earlier, and and I'm thinking back generationally to our boomer era, when uh, the Jesus people came to be in the 60s, they, they were trying to be um, prophetic uh, to both their parents' generation and to the world they lived in. They tried to speak into a musical genre and a communal lifestyle that was largely foreign uh, to that World War II generation that saw everything as very traditional in any kind of modern sense. Uh, and And I want to commend them for that attempt. But across the years, uh, as uh, time progressed, the decades uh, wore on, that impetus uh, to speak prophetically became actually quite um, what um, imitative of wider cultural values. And we began mm-hmm. to look too much like the world we lived in rather than to be a salt and light uh, to that world. And that's a, you know, again, every situation is a little bit different and one has to be careful of generalizing too much uh, as we think about it. Maybe one last point, just a quick point. We live in the era of sociology in the last 50 years. Sociologists talk about big trends. We tend to think of uh, people, inside of those trends. The reality is that all of us are fundamentally unique uh, Mm -hmm. individuals, and none of us are simply a trend. Uh, And when we treat uh, churches as if they are all just part of a trend, I think we miss how unique uh, churches are in their own identity, even if they are also, now here's the qualifier, also profoundly influenced by those trends as well.
2: When I look at that, you know, it's no other gods beside me in a sense of idolatry or adultery, part of Dennis's portfolio question. I can't be just part of your your, uh, Mount Olympus, just another god up there. But when I think about it that way, and I think about the rest of the Old Testament, it really is about whether or not God is going to have my ultimate allegiance. And yet we're in a world where people are looking for meaning and purpose And they're often trying to find that in some place like their 401k plan or the next promotion or their performance or their celebrity. How do we shift that understanding that the Christian life is really all of my life, my vocation, everything I do is part of serving Christ?
0: Constructs of idolatry emerge not from actually within contemporary Christianity. Uh, that is, they, they are first revived uh, among the kind of secular prophets of the 19th century. You find lots of discussions of idolatry in Nietzsche, uh, in Feuerbach, uh, and uh, others of that ilk. Marx uses this language a, a, as a way to criticize our ability to project a religious being that looks just like us. Now. Okay. I I think what happens uh, over time is the ability to see the ways in which we hope in the things uh, that uh, we have spent time and effort and energy on, hoping that it will make us uh, safe and secure. Uh, And the reality is that it makes us more insecure. And so we chase it yet further, whether it's Power, whether it's money, uh, uh, on the list might go. So, how do we how do we help the church see the ways in which um, the Christian uh, faith, the gospel, touches all of these areas? What does it say about money, power, sex, uh, family, relationships, politics? Uh, all of those, as potential idols, are objects that ought to be investigated in light of the gospel. Uh, and I think that's also to say, and a point you guys have made much of, uh, too much has been made uh, inside of uh, evangelical circles that have thinned out uh, the gospel, thinned out salvation, so that it is a transaction rather than a um, a recreation. Uh, and so tying together creation and and redemption, uh, you've got to have a thicker understanding of the work of God uh, to see the ways in which he touches every area of life.
1: I would appreciate it, Rick, if you would think about the two terms in the title of your book, both identity and idolatry, and give us Professor Rick Lentz's summary, as it were, of how I should think as a disciple about my identity so that I don't find myself in the idolatry of the contemporary Western church that is prone pr- and uh, possible.
0: Yeah, um, I do think that the Amago Day, the image of God, which we find uh, early in Genesis, and Uh, Another story, it drops out after Genesis 9, but the language of the image is, I think, a simple word picture uh, as a reflector, a reflection of, a mirror of. So our identity is a derivative identity. Uh, We are mirrors or images of God. Uh, Now, having said that, that is just enormously interesting. Uh, So God creates, we create. God speaks, we speak. We don't speak as God, we don't create as God, but all those activities of God, the character of God, is is reflected in us uh, to some degree. And so the uh, questions of identity in our time, the the fundamental challenge is to contest that notion that we create ourselves, self-creation. Uh, that somehow our own choices determine who we are. Uh, So David Brooks talks about the resume virtues and the uh, eulogy virtues. Uh, And we concentrate so much on the resume virtues uh, uh, that we lose sight of the things that actually matter over time. Now, I, I, I wanna be careful here. I think the eulogy virtues, as you mentioned earlier, Uh, uh, Raymond, of kindness and graciousness and humility. Those are reflections of the God who has made us. Uh, So I do think uh, that there is still a echo in our being uh, that yearns to reflect the God who made us.
1: Rick, if a pastor in New York City happens to be watching this podcast and goes, I want to know more about this, where would they look to pick up information that you're talking about?
0: Yeah, on the City to City website, RedeemerCityToCity.com, uh, and uh, lots of um, menus down uh, that you can uh, look for the city ministry project. What's, what's One other interesting piece about it is that It was oriented towards those who had no theological education, no seminary training. uh, But interestingly, we have had lots of pastors come into the program, uh, uh, both as a refresher, but also to realize that they're facing questions that the seminary didn't train them 20 years ago or 30 years ago for, because the world is so different and their world is so different. So uh, we, we welcome... Uh, those with a seminary degree, those that have no seminary training, uh, elders in a church, lay leaders, uh, and folks that are thinking about vocational uh, ministry uh, as well.
1: Professor Rick Lentz, we are just honored and delighted that you would join us today on The Disciple Dilemma.
0: Thanks for having me and uh, look forward to some more conversations in the future.
2: great fun trying to grapple with these basic questions. Folks, thanks for listening to
1: Professor Rick Lentz today. He's been a pastor. He's been the provost at Gordon Conwell Seminary. He's been an author, and he's been working with Redeemer City to City in New York, talking about unity and diversity today in discipleship. Help us at The Disciple Dilemma to get the word out. Discipleship's been hacked. We need to get back to the model that Jesus gave us. Please follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Rumbly, our website, www.thediscipledilemma.com, and all the major RSS feeds. As always, thanks for listening.